five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. We search the world for direct marketing and direct mail every day. Glad you could join us. Here we go. Let's see what we got. Well, first we got Tom Fishburne over here, and uh, he's got some thoughts on creative feedback. And of course, I do too. First, how to give creative feedback. Make the logo bigger. You know, that's it sounds simple, but I should I should have brought up the test panel we did. But I, I was working for Deluxe Check, and they had a business forms catalog, and it said Deluxe Business Forms, but it was all in sans serif block letters. And I said, you know, why don't you why don't you say Deluxe? It's a double entendre in a certain sense because they are, you know, they were Deluxe Forms. They were well made, um, and but also people connect with Deluxe. You know, the, the, they printed my checks. They did it right. They have been using them for years. They probably can do business forms. And so um, I think that got us about a 20% lift, just that, just that one thing, really. Uh, I mean, we did a couple other things to the, uh, to the cover, but, but generally the logo was it because <laughs> they had a good brand. Okay? Make uh, it more customer-centric and agile. Use the latest lingo. Yeah, and the latest lingo usually means almost nothing. So I think he's being a little tongue-in-cheek here. Let's see. Add more of whatever our purpose is, which is elevate the brand. You know, there's a I I uh, <laughs> happy Monday to you too, style consultant. So elevate the brand and whatever. And uh, I I saw an article. I tagged it for maybe for later in the week. It said, "Have we gone too far with brand purpose?" You know, and the, because it's a two-edged sword. You know, somebody wins and somebody loses in most cases. Uh, you say, what could be the what could be the harm in in feeding the world? Well, you know, in Haiti they put the rice farmers out of business by dumping low boatloads of free rice on the country. Um, it's not sustainable. Anyway, <clears throat> isn't the font a little too surfy? <laughs> Get in the details. Yeah, well, fonts can matter. You know, I did creative work for the Billy Graham Association, their annuity division, and if the font went below eight-point type, it, the res response went to zero. It wasn't just, it wasn't like this slope where, you know, you could be at 12, 10, 8. Well, if it was 8, it would just go to nothing because <clears throat> some of us have glasses and we have to see stuff. We need to tack on a few dozen other benefits. Yes, and, okay. And, uh, you know, yeah, sometimes you can say too much. Our priorities have changed and need to pivot, which means start all over. <laughs> okay, much of the messy advertising you see on television is the product of com committees. Committees can criticize advertisements, but they should never be allowed to create them. That's from David Ogilvie, one of my heroes, probably one of the guys that got me into into the advertising and marketing create, uh, creative space. Okay, inherent dynamic of committees to sand the edges, that's the path of least resistance, yet it's also the approach most likely to result in messy, forgettable work. That's the, that's the real thing, is that David actually uh, expands on that quite a bit in his book, uh, Confessions of an Ad Man, uh, which may, I think, be available on... Um, 
on scientificadvertising.com. He's got a lot of classics over there, so you might want to check that out. But anyway, but I'm sure it's available. Anyway, he David Ogilvy says uh, that he you know got approached by I don't remember the Aluminum Manufacturers Association or something, and he said, "What's your what? You know, how many people are going to review this ad?" And it was like a dozen. And what's your budget? And it was not much. And he said, "You know, I don't take work from committees. They un they they they, you know, basically masticate. That means chew it up." And chew it up over and over and over and completely rethink it. And then they don't have enough budget to really make it work anyway. You really need to con concentrate on your key features, uh, not this yes and bit. <clears throat> okay, so how do we review creative and respond to creative feedback as a valuable part of the creative process? Or uh, it's, wait, how we review creative and respond to creative feedback is as valuable a part of the creative process as the creative itself. Yet the creative review is often overlooked and frequently misunderstood. The type is very, very small here on my on my printout of it. Maybe I can make it bigger this way without wrecking it. I'm not doing much better. Well, I can see it a little better. Okay. Um, so the most talented creatives in the world will create mediocre work if the creative review process is managed in a mediocre way. And the most telling part of this... Uh, of Tom's comments was from, um, oh, he doesn't say who. An ad agency exec once told me she assigned creative teams based on how good the clients were at creative review. Think about that if you work in a big agency, or I mean if you work with a big agency. She said A clients get A review, A creative teams. B clients get B creative teams. You don't want to waste the talents of A teams on B clients. In other words, we're not going to give you the correct, we're not going to give you the real, the, the really strong players if you're going to nickel and dime them to death and, or, you know, criticize them to death. You know, I had a boss once <laughs> and he would, you know, he would, he would say, well, we, sometimes you spelled gray G-R-A-Y and sometimes you spelled gray G-R-E-Y because we would lift copy from the manufacturer's brochures and stuff and you know they did it both ways and you know make them all g-r-a-y and then two weeks later he'd be looking at the proofs and say well make them all g-r-e-y <laughs> and you know I, I think i wrote an article once about what would how would it do if we just left it <laughs> if we wouldn't have had to go through all of that work so i think it's part of the job of the of the client to improve how they give creative feedback to make their creative stronger. Yeah, I think most of the time they do more harm than good. I think it's also part of the job of the creative team to push back when that doesn't happen. Yeah, I know it is, but you can only make that happen so often. Pick your battles. So here's make the logo bigger and they made it bigger and make it bigger. <laughs> this one was a good one. Too scary, too silly. This is designed by committee. Too dark. Not our brand. Witches are polarizing. Cats are polarizing. Fine, we give up. The best one was down here. Well, this was a good one. After incorporating everyone's feedback, our special tonight will be a dish of plain hot water. Hot might be polarizing. Better make it lukewarm. <laughs> and this one I like the best because it actually start with praise, add some minor changes, later lay on more praise, add the meat of the criticism, Another helping of praise, cover a few more minor edits, finish with praise, 
and the client says, I don't eat meat, or the creative person, I guess, says, I don't eat meat. So there you go. Anyway, that's Tom Fishburne for the week. Now, this was a, this was a pretty good article by Terry Johnson from um, Sequel up in Minneapolis. And uh, she says, have you ever binge-watched the Home Shopping Network? If you did, you experienced the excitement and energy that's generated when the host points out the segment clock is nearing the end. The limited quantity is continuing to deplete, and the purchase ticket ticker is rising. You're one of the thousands of viewers who felt like you were felt like you were missing out on something great if you didn't buy now. And I get those kind of I get those stock letters, you know, the secret stock that any minute is going to bring bring returns like. Uh, Facebook and Amazon if you bought it when they were losing money the whole time. And so no one wants to miss out. Uh, statistics say that people are much more much more alarmed by the fear of loss than they are by acquiring something new. Okay, Just another new thing doesn't necessarily make that make their get their uh, move to action to happen. So fear of missing out inspires 60% of people to make purchases according to the True Pulse report. Now I did include the True Pulse report and marked it all up. Um, and this is from Coral Willette, I think it is. Uh, anyway, French is always a challenge for me. But very, very many statistics, fascinating statistics. She claims that she claims that social media is the main driving force. Now, this was written a few years ago, but it's still fun to read. Three and four millennials pre prefer to spend money on experiences over stuff, unless they need this stuff, and then they will buy the stuff. But they'd rather spend it on experiences. Uh, the desire to spend money on experience has increased 70% since 1987. And 55% uh, they say they've spent money, more money on live experiences than events. There's another one that basically says, I'll spend money I don't have to impress my friends. I think that's down in here. 40% uh, say they spent money on something once per year to post on social media. Oh, we can do this because it'll... And so, and so, uh, and so Coral says that that a lot of the fear of missing out is driven by social media. And she says that websites can also be designed with that in mind. But anyway, it's worth a read. She says Facebook uh, is the place that provokes 72% of the fear of missing out online. And in that sense, it's, fear, it's you know, sort, of, sort of envy of what other people are doing, right? But she says, be careful, down at the bottom, she says, be careful because, you know, you can you can inspire negative emotions if you get too strong on this. 30% feel jealousy, 39% feel envy, which are pretty related. So that means 70% almost feel something like that. 20% feel sad or disappointed. It isn't mutually exclusive, I don't think. Um, otherwise, we'd be up around 90%. But she says, be a little careful. But anyway, that one, that article is cited over here by Terry and says there's a, there are, 
that four out of five Americans say finding a great offer a discount is on their minds throughout the entire purchase journey. They're getting the best. Are they getting the best deal? Is there a deadline to speed up conversion? Right. Limited time offer this month only. Right. While stocks last will also intensify fear of missing out. Right. So it's also associated with the need to belong. And uh, I've oftentimes, especially back in the beginning of websites, we used to we used to encourage our clients to to create, um, you know, VIP customers and uh, give them a number that they can put in when they log into the, the website so we can see. This was before cookies and a lot of tracking, but but it allowed us to see how often they were logging in. And we would give them things like um, evaluation products. That's a powerful thing if you're a distributor and you get sample products from manufacturers. You know, even if it's just a few, you can hand them out to the VIP customers and say, "What do you think of this?" and make sure they give you feedback. And I got. My favorite Leatherman tool, I think I have it with me right now. Yes, I do. I got that from being a life member of the North American Hunting Club. And they, you know, you had to register and you had to say, yes, I will give feedback. But I was a special, I was a special member. I got a Leatherman tool. I got some other, uh, I got a... (laughs) I got one of those expandable fishing poles as a sample. There was some great stuff I got. But, um, you know, have your customers be part of the group. And if you have good, if you have a good database with good scoring, you can find those upper lim- limit uh, customers. And um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you might want to get my book. It's available in Kindle. I think this is the last remaining paperback on earth. Unless you bought one already, spinning straw into gold. I'm in the middle of rewriting the whole thing, and I'm gonna do a, I'm gonna do a, uh, a webinar, at the, probably toward the end of the month, and I'm just rethinking the whole book, and a part of it is about, about the, um, the hidden assets that I found in most businesses that can dramatically affect their valuation. In other words, make a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money if you want to sell or if you want to go get more funding, more investors, you know, all those things are good. Anyway, so this community aspect is a powerful thing that people will respond to. Uh, they want to be your, your good customers. They want to be, they want to help you. In many cases, especially if you have a brand purpose, okay? 95% of people say reviews, either positive or negative, influence their purchase decision, Okay, I'm not sure that's exactly the fear of missing out. Um, most of it is limited time offer, that kind of thing, incentives and rewards. Um, but it it is a powerful it is a powerful incentive, right? And I think that's part of the of the like the eBay. You know what's made, and you can say, well, eBay isn't that successful. Well, they're pretty successful. But, you know, the, the auction is expiring. Okay, So anyway, I would especially also recommend the statistics around this, uh, this Coral, Coral's article. Very, very powerful. Have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Share. I mean, share. That's the one you want. Share. Likes are... Mm-mm-mm. 
Nobody cares about likes. Share it with your network. They'll think you're very, very smart. Bye-bye.